Good morning, Lakeshore. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome to our Smyrna campus. We're glad you're there at Smyrna. Uh, welcome to all of you that might be connecting with us online or through our podcast. We're glad that you've connected with us today. We are in a series of messages called By Faith, and we're looking at the life of Abraham and how God worked through him and how Abraham de demonstrated his faith and lived out his faith in different circumstances of his life. The clip that we just saw is from a movie about the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center and how there were people trapped in the rubble of the buildings and how so many went out searching for those that were trapped. And friends, there are stories, miraculous stories, how long after anybody thought anybody would have survived that, that event, they still found people alive that were being rescued. And I love what that one guy said, we are Marines, we're not going to leave you, you are our mission. You see, they understood the mission they were sent there to do, and they were going to stay there until they completed the mission. And that's the focus of our encounter with Abraham today. And it is the responsibility we have as people of faith. As people who know God and know his greatness and his mercy and his love and what he's done for us and how we have a responsibility then to be on mission for him. To reach those people yet to be reached. To rescue those people who have lost their way and find themselves in great trouble in their lives. Friends, we are Christ followers. This is our mission. We can't leave them without doing everything we can to rescue them. That's what we're called to do. So today we're looking at faith uh, and the idea of its responsibility that it puts on us. We began the series looking at a demonstration of faith in the life of Abraham. And then we saw how he had a relapse of faith where he didn't really uh, act in a faithful way. And last week we talked about the selflessness of faith. And that's connected to this one. And that is part of the selflessness of our faith is that we fulfill our responsibility in a selfless way. Today, I want to do it a little differently. I want to draw a parallel between a story that Jesus told and the story we're going to look at from Genesis and the life of Abraham. Now, we're going to be getting to, uh, to Abraham, and Genesis 14 is where we're going to be at today uh, and spend a lot of time there. Genesis 14, if you want to hold that. But before we get to that, I want to look at a story Jesus told uh, it's short. It's found in Luke 15. In fact, in Luke 15, he, we have recorded three stories that Jesus told. They're all about lost things. And the first one is a lost sheep. Let's pick up in Luke 15 and verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And so they get the point of the story. Jesus adds this in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know what? It's great for us to come together and celebrate in the assembly of God's people today. 
What a wonderful thing that we've got people here who are believers, who are Christ followers. And you're here because you already know God and know God's love and know what God has done for you. And that's why you're here. And that's why you came around this table to remember what Christ did for you. But there are thousands outside of this building this morning. Thousands in our own community who are totally disconnected from God. Who are suffering and struggling. You know what would excite God more than anything else is that some of us this week go on the rescue mission to find them and bring them here. Bring them back to God's family. See, God gets more excited about that than anything else. And that's why he's given us the responsibility that comes with our faith to go and rescue those who are in trouble, who are lost, who are suffering who don't know what it means to walk by faith in Christ. So let's pick up here with the example of Abraham. I wanted to connect it with that parallel to the story that Jesus told in Luke 15. Well, in, in, Luke, in Genesis 14, uh, we see Abraham demonstrating what he understood to be the responsibility of his faith in God. And it involves his nephew, Lot. And the first thing we're going to see about Abraham's faith and the responsibility he felt was that he was concerned enough about what happened, was happening with Lot to respond to the situation. He was concerned enough to respond. Pick up here in verse 11 of Genesis 14. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot. Now, remember, Abram is the name Abraham was known by early on. This is the same guy that we call Abraham today. Abram's nephew, Lot, in his possession since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Anak, all of whom were allied with Abraham. Verse 14 says this, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, I want you to get the setting of what's happened here. Remember last week, we looked at how Lot and Abram decided to part ways. They're traveling to the place that God said he was going to give them where they were going to live. Uh, on the way there, they're traveling with all of their herds and their flocks and their servants and all the, the entourage that had to come with that. And they realized it was too big to manage altogether. The land couldn't sustain it. The, the, the area couldn't sustain that. So they decided to part ways. You remember what happened? Abram, even though he was the patriarch, the older one, he said to Lot, you choose first which way you want to go, which land you want to settle on, and I'll go the other way. And even though Abram should have had first choice, he allowed Lot to have first choice. Now, Lot was selfish in the way he chose. He looked over the land and he saw this area in the valley of the Jordan River there that was lush, and beautiful, and fertile. He said, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm taking my blocks. That's where I'm going to live. And, and here's what we see. Remember back in, in chapter 13 and verse 12, it said this. Abram went his way. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near where? Sodom. 
Now, I want you to see there's a difference in how it's worded in chapter 13 and what it says about where Lot lives in chapter 14. You see, he started out pitching his tents near Sodom. But what happened is, is these four kings that, that were ruling different territories in the area had formed an alliance. And in their alliance, they went on the attack to acquire more land. And they went and took Sodom and the areas around Sodom as their uh, possession. And they looted everything and took all the good stuff with them. And they even took Lot and his family captive in the attack and took them back with them to be servants slaves to them. But notice what it says in chapter 14. It says, they took, they carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living where now? In Sodom. He started out in tents near Sodom and now where is he? You can imagine the progression, right? They've been traveling in tents living hard off the land. Even though he was well-to-do, I mean, tent life is different than city life, right? And they probably had to go into Sodom to shop and get supplies and stuff like that. Lot's wife probably said, you know, the stores in town are nice. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, maybe, I don't know. And Lot was thinking, you know, Every time it rains, this tent gets awfully musty and damp and all our stuff gets damp. And You know what? I saw a nice place in town. We've got servants. We can keep them out here with our flocks, right? We don't have to be out here. They found them a nice three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath in town. <laughs> Decided they'd move on into the city. But you know, we find out in 1 Peter and some other verses in the Bible that at first Lot was repulsed by what he saw going on in Sodom. You see, Sodom had that reputation of being a very wicked, especially sexually sinful place. And as Lot first had exposure to that, he was repelled by it. But after he hung around it for a while... And after he saw how nice it might be to live in town and not in the tents anymore, all of a sudden he was okay with some of that stuff. Gradually he began to think, no big deal, I can still live in town. Doesn't mean I approve of all that, right? Doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to condone it as okay just because I live there. And so he decides, like a lot of us, Decide in our minds, I can be around that stuff without it affecting me, without it having, getting a hold of me, without it beginning to influence my decisions and beliefs, right? And so we make small compromises, not big ones. We don't just turn our back on God and say, I hate God, I don't want to follow God anymore. It, it hardly ever happens that way. It's usually very gradual falling away. Just a little bit at a time over time. Just look at how our country's changed just in one lifetime, right? 
on the on the morality of our country, how it's changed from what it was to where it is now. I'm not saying even before it was all where it should have been. It wasn't. But look at how much it's changed now in just one lifetime where things that used to never be welcomed or accepted, especially publicly, are now celebrated publicly, even though God's word hasn't changed a bit, not even a little bit. It's still the same. It's always been. His teachings haven't changed. And yet the cultural morality has gradually over time shifted dramatically. There are things on television now that just 30 years ago would never have made it on the air. Things in movies today that they never would have shown. Video games and what they graphically depict today would never have been allowed in the hands of our children just 30 years ago. And we say it has no effect on them. As long as they, you know, we teach them right from wrong, everything will be fine. Let me tell you something. You cannot keep putting that in your heart and your mind without it sooner or later coming out in your beliefs and your actions. It does. People wonder what's changed when it comes to, like, uh, mass shootings with guns. We drove to high school with a gun rack. I, I had a gun rack. I had, a, I had a, a rifle that I hunted with in the back of my car all the time so that I could go hunting after class. Nobody shot anybody at our schools. Nobody did. We didn't have one single shooting in the whole, my whole lifetime in that school. Guns haven't changed. The hearts of people have changed. The hearts of people have changed. Now, I'm not saying this because I, I want you to go out and, and join the NRA. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is how we need to be real and honest about the fact that what we've allowed to happen has a lot to do with what Lot allowed to happen in his life. He just got close and then he moved in among them. And then what he thought he could keep from affecting him ended up affecting him more than he realized. Abram, when he heard about what had happened to Lot, here's what he could have said. Serves him right. Serves him right. I tried to be gracious and offer him first choice and what did he do selfishly pick the best for himself and 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 I, and I I wanted him to to continue to honor God in his life and what did he do he didn't just leave close to Sodom what did he do he moved all the way into town and what used to repulse him instead now he started accepting and welcoming it and thinking it was okay he could have said, Lot deserves everything that's happened to him. All the suffering, all the punishment, the fact that he's taken captive now, the fact that he's being enslaved now, he deserves it. Maybe he'll learn his lesson. Abram could have taken that approach. But is that the approach Abram took? No. Abram was concerned enough to say, I can't sit back and allow Lot to be left in that situation without doing everything I can to rescue him. Did Lot deserve that? No, not from a human perspective, 
at all. But the responsibility of faith says, I'm not just responsible for me. I'm responsible for those who don't have what I have. I'm responsible for making every effort to rescue them. The people that are out in the world, separated from God, who are suffering the consequences of their choices, it would be easy for the church to say, well, they deserve what's going on. They deserve what's happening to them. They made those choices. Let them live it. They, they made their bed. Let them lie in it. Right. But that's not what Jesus teaches. And that's not the example of Abraham and his faith. What we learn is that we have a responsibility to make every effort to go and rescue those people from the hurt and the pain and the destruction that sin brings into their lives. That's the responsibility of people of faith. And it's easy for us to just keep coming and meeting together and celebrating those who haven't compromised and, 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 and talking about how great it is that we love the Lord and, and how bad it is that they don't and not actually do anything to try to rescue those people. So let me ask you today, what are you most concerned about today in our world? What are you most concerned about? I, I, I see some of it. If you want to know what people are really concerned about, just check their social media. You'll find out what real, people are really concerned about just by checking their social media. You look at their Facebook page or their Instagram or, or, follow, or see what they're putting on Snapchat, though they can hide that. But, but you, you dig, you know, you look. You can find out what people are really concerned about. And you know what I see Christians most concerned about? Politics. How bad everything is out there. How we need this person, or you know, which side of the aisle you're on. We need this person to be elected. We need that one. We need to get that one out of office. I see more of that than I do anything else from the Christian community. But you know what Jesus was most concerned about? The lost sheep. That's what he was most concerned about. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be politically active. I think you ought to express your faith in how you vote and who you support. I think that's a good thing. But what are you most concerned about? The economy? Look at numbers. It's really good right now. Unemployment hit a record low for 50 years just recently. That's great. Does that mean people don't need Jesus anymore? No. What are you most concerned about? The floods were a bad thing. Do we want people to be cared for and have food and clothing and shelter? Yes, those are good things. We ought to be concerned about those things. But you can clothe and feed people and let them burn in hell for eternity. If you're not concerned about what Jesus was concerned about most. Which is helping them reconnect to the Father. Finding grace and forgiveness there. So you see, Abraham was concerned enough to respond in the way that God would want him to respond. The second thing I want us to see about Abraham today is that he was strategic in his response. He was strategic. Look at verse 14 again and 15. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. All right, so he followed them. He took his fighting men that he had trained already, and, and he followed them to Dan. He, he saw where they were going. He went that direction. And then it says in verse 15, during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. 
He didn't just say, I'm so mad they took Lot and just charge out of the house, get on his horse and ride into the enemy camp to rescue his nephew. No. He planned out the most effective way to carry out this rescue. He had some trained men who were skilled at doing this kind of thing. He got them first. And you know what else he had? He had formed an alliance with some other leaders in the area. So he brought that alliance together so they could work together against the alliance that had attacked them. Those other four kings. Now, the reason I bring that up is, is that we Christians, sometimes we finally decide we want to do something. We want to help people find Jesus. And what do we do? We knock on somebody's door and say, do you know why you're going to hell? Let me tell you, that's not very strategic. That's not a smart way to rescue lost people. Does it annoy you when you get those knocks on the door from those groups that go around and do some of that? It does me. One of the biggest challenges when somebody rings my doorbell is staying quiet enough that they don't, they don't know I'm home. Well, let's be real, right? I don't want to waste time on this. I saw a guy put up a sign that says, I already know Jesus. I don't need to buy any products. And uh, I already know who I'm going to vote for. Uh, uh, you know, that way you don't solicit me for anything. We need to be strategic as Christ followers. On how we go about the most effective way. And you know what we have to learn? It's what used to work doesn't work anymore. That's one of the hardest things for the church in America is we want to keep doing it the way we've been doing it because it used to work and people came to church and churches grew and people were being added to the kingdom and, and boy, everything was going great. And we thought we just need to dig in deeper and do it harder and do it more and, and, and spend more money and time and effort on those things. And you know what? They did that. And you know what happened to the church in America? It began to decline. Do you realize that this week, between 100 and 200 churches in America will close their doors forever? In just one week, right now in America, between one to 200 churches will close their doors this week because they don't have enough people to keep it open anymore. And you know the biggest reason for that? It's not that those people don't love Jesus. It's that they refuse to get strategic and change how they did things to reach lost people. That was the problem. You see, what used to work just doesn't work anymore. I'm not talking about changing the gospel. You don't have to change the gospel. In fact, the worst thing you could do is change the teaching of the church. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the strategy of how you go about teaching people to come to know Christ and follow the truth of his word. That's got to change if we're going to continue to rescue lost people. I read uh, recently about this doctor who was uh, driving along and, and uh, out in a, a kind of a remote area and he had a flat tire. So he pulled off the road and he got out to change the tire and he noticed he was right next to uh, some, a big land, big building there. And he saw it was an insane asylum there. He thought, well, I'm not going there for help. So he thought, right, maybe I could change the tire. So he, he got the jack out and the spare and he looked at the instructions. He thought, yeah, I think I can do this. So he got the car jacked up and 
he, he took the hubcap off there where he could get to the lug nuts and he started taking off the lug nuts and he put them and the, he turned the hubcap upside down. He started putting the lug nuts in the hubcap there. He got the old flat tire off. He got it back in the trunk. He put the, the other tire on and on his way uh, to reach for the lug nuts, he hit the hubcap, knocked it over and all the lug nuts spilled out and rolled down into this culvert that he, he couldn't get them. So here he is with his tire on there and no lug nuts to, to put it on with. Somebody from the insane asylum on the other side of the fence yelled out, Hey, why don't you do this? He said, What? He says, Why don't you just take one lug knot off the other three tires and put it on that tire until you can get somewhere and get some other lug nuts and replace the ones that you were lost? So he did that and it, and it worked beautifully. And he said to the guy, if you knew how to do that and you could help me with that, why in the world are you in there? He said, well, I may be crazy, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> you see, sometimes we Christians are not just crazy. Sometimes we're just stupid. You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. If churches stopped growing and reaching people, why would we keep doing things the same way? It makes no sense. That's why I love being a pastor at Lakeshore because we have a leadership here and a staff here that is innovative and creative and willing to try to do things that, that other churches won't do sometimes. And, and you know what? We're reaching people. I love that we've got a campus in Smyrna. I'm so glad you guys are there today in Smyrna and, and, and we're reaching people there. That campus has already doubled in size since we started it. And you know what? They don't have Randy preaching there live and in person. And you know what? They don't care. Some of you would not go to a church like that, but lost people don't care. They just want to know the church cares about them enough to do something creative and innovative to reach them, reach out to them in their communities where they are. You see, that's the responsibility of faith, that we're willing to support things that are out of our comfort zone, that are not necessarily what we want, how we want it done, but we're willing to support it because God is using it to rescue lost people and bring them back into his family. Jesus said to his 12 before he sent them out one time to do ministry, he said in Matthew 10, verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And then he said this, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Did you know Jesus told us to be shrewd as snakes and how we go out into the world? He's not telling you to be dishonest. He's not telling you to be anything other than, than honest and upright. But he's saying, be strategic. Think through what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it and make it the most effective thing when you do it. I love Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Paul said this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
Speaking of answering everyone wisely, I, I heard about this lady that was attending this conference. She was trying to expand and grow uh, as a person. And at this conference, they had this time where they met up. They divided into these small groups around tables. And everybody was supposed to introduce themselves and tell what they did. And, and they started introducing themselves. And one said, well, I'm a, I'm a doctor in the area. One said, I'm an attorney. Another said, you know, I, I, I'm an accountant or something like that. And, and this one girl said, I am an evangelist cleverly disguised as a checker at Kroger. <laughs> Wise. Recognized her responsibility that came with her faith. She's not there just checking people out through the checkout line at Kroger. She's representing Jesus Christ in that place. Something's happened among, we have these colleges that we support among our brotherhood, among our churches, and uh, they were called Bible colleges early on, which is a good thing. And they, they mainly e existed to train and equip uh, men who decided they wanted to be preachers. And I went to one of those schools. It was Atlanta Christian College there in Atlanta, Georgia. And they gave me training and equipping to be a preacher, to be a minister, or to be a pastor at a church. And I appreciate that so much. But you know what? Some people that were very wise began to realize when the culture began to change. They said, you know what we need? We need places that people can go to be trained and equipped to be Christian doctors and Christian nurses and Christian uh, accountants and Christian whatever occupation you were in so that we can send you out on the mission field in those places to represent Jesus Christ. And so now what was Atlanta Christian College is Point University and many of our other schools have done the same thing where they offer degrees in so many different fields of study so that people could come there who love Jesus and want to honor Jesus but who are called to other vocations but they could be equipped to be Christians in those vocations. What a smart, wise, shrewd approach to take. But you know what a lot of churches did? They pulled their support from those schools. You know why? Not training preachers anymore. Yes, they are. They still also have a department where they're training and equipping pastors, but they're also training and equipping others to represent Jesus and all those other vocations. I think that's more worthy of our support. But we have a hard time with change, don't we? We're doing it differently. Well, the third thing we see about Abraham was he was courageous in his response. Courageous. Look at that, verse 15. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them. He routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. It took courage to go do what Abram just did. If we read this and we know a little bit of the history of the area, it is almost certain that Abram and his forces were outnumbered. It's almost certain they were outnumbered. I mean, this is a traveling group. They're, they're, they haven't had the ability to stay stable in one place and train up a real big army and everything, right? He's got only 318 trained men. You can bet those four kings combined that formed that alliance that took Lot captive had a lot more forces than that. So what Abram just did that night was courageous. He was taking tremendous risk to go rescue his nephew and his family and the others that had been taken captive. You see, he didn't just rescue Lot and his family. Did you notice that? He rescued the others that had been taken captive too. What a courageous act. 
Sometimes we're willing to sacrifice greatly for our family, aren't we? Well, what about people that aren't our family? What about the people that aren't really blood relatives? Are we willing to risk anything for them? Are we willing to make sacrifices so that the church can have the presence in the community to reach those people that are disconnected from the Father? You see, that's why we give our offerings. That's why we support the ministries here. That's why we help serve and opportunities to serve at the church. That's why we are evangelists disguised as checkers at Kroger. It's because we're willing to take the risk that comes with that so that those people who are lost can be found. Remember the story Jesus told, Luke 15? He said, the shepherd left the 99, where? In the open country, it says. Why does he specifically say the open country? Because that's a risky place for the sheep. It was risky to have them out in the open country without the shepherd right there protecting them. But you know what Jesus is saying? Rescuing the lost is worth taking that risk. It's worth risking It's worth risking maybe some people getting mad at church because you're not doing it the way they want to do it anymore to reach lost people. It's worth risking like we had here. Somebody came to me and said, uh, if you don't change this particular thing that he wanted me to change, one was that he didn't like the way I dressed on Sundays. That's really important. He sat down in my office and said, if you don't change that, we're leaving. And he was one of the biggest givers we had at the church. And I said, you know, I don't want that, but I'm willing to take the risk so that we can reach lost people. He never came back. Within two or three months, God added more than enough new families to take care of what that guy used to give. You've got to be willing to take the risk to reach lost people. Jesus said it's worth it to the Father. And we're supposed to have the heart of the Father. Peter and John in the New Testament were arrested in that book of Acts records it in chapter 4. They were arrested. They had healed this guy that had been lame from birth, been a cripple his whole life. They healed him. And when people ask, how did you do that? They said, we did it in the name of Jesus who was killed on the cross, but who rose again on the third day. So they're preaching the resurrected Lord as the power that helped them heal this guy. And they got arrested for it. The night when they arrested him, it was too late and they had too much turmoil going on to question them. But they brought him in for questioning later. In verse 18 of Acts 4, it says this. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're willing to take the risk. Even if it meant being arrested, even if it meant being persecuted, even if they ended up being killed, which they did, by the way, for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We complain about how we are sometimes uh, treated differently as Christians in America now than it used to be. We don't have the same public support we used to have and everything. And I'm concerned about that. But you know what I'm more concerned about? Our brothers and sisters in China in Muslim countries around the world, some in India, 
who've had their property confiscated, had their houses and church buildings burned down, who've been imprisoned, and some who have been executed because they follow Jesus. But they think it's worth the risk. And we don't think it's risk giving a little extra to support the church when we might have to not go on that cruise we wanted to go on. You see the difference there? We have a responsibility because we know God and we know Christ is our Lord and Savior to be willing to take risks. The last thing, very quickly, is Abraham was also God-honoring in his response. After he rescued his nephew and he returned from defeating those kings and uh, uh, the king of Sodom came out in verse 17 and, and to meet him in the valley of Sheba, uh, that's the king's valley. And then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high and he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth and praise be to God most high who delivered you your enemies into your hand. You know what Abram did? It says he gave a tenth, gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Now, most scholars believe, and I do too, that that was what we now call a tithe, right? A tithe means a tenth. Abram, right off the top, voluntarily said to Melchizedek, I want God to be honored too. And one way I'm going to do that is by giving a tenth of all the spoils of war that we got back to you to honor God. You know what's so incredible about that? The law wasn't even around yet. There was no command to give a tithe. God had never instructed them yet to give a tenth back to him. This was purely the heart of Abraham saying, we want to honor God this way by choice. We practically have to beg the church to give today. You know what? On most surveys, only about 3% of all Christians give a tithe back to the church. Now, I'm not saying you legalistically have to give exactly 10%. I'm saying here's Abraham voluntarily choosing to do that without being commanded to. And churches around America are struggling to get their members to support them financially in the work that God has called us to do. But something else happened. Abram said to the king of Sodom, uh, first of all, the king of Sodom said to Abram, uh, give, me, uh, uh, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Sodom was saying, all right, you took people captive when you came. You, you conquered us and you took some captive in the, in the, in the attack. Uh, so here's what you do. You could keep all the stuff you took, but, but give me the, the people back that, that actually belonged to Sodom. And here's what Abram said to the king of Sodom. With raised hand, I've sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Anar, Eschol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. You know what Abram's saying? You see, if I take this from you, it won't be God getting glory. It'll be you getting glory and credit for it. I only want God to receive glory and honor for what I've done here. He's the only one I won't recognize as the one who has blessed me and taken care of me. I want God to get all the credit for that. So here's what I want to close with. Listen to me, church. If we care enough, and if we're willing to be strategic enough, and if we are courageous enough as a church to save even one who was lost, 
that will make us a God-honoring church. That and that alone makes us a God-honoring church. No matter what the attendance is, no matter what the facilities are like, no matter what the offerings are, if we're not caring enough and responsible enough with our faith to do whatever it takes to reach lost people, then we can never be a God-honoring church until we're willing to do that. Remember Luke 15, verse 7? I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who do not need to repent. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know. We know that what you want us to be most concerned about as Christ followers is not politics, it's not the economy, it's not even the physical things of food and shelter, though those things are all things that we ought to be concerned about. The thing that matters most, the thing that honors you the most is are we taking our responsibility seriously and allowing you to work through us to reach people who don't know you yet. And if there's one here today who wants to come in that decision to be welcomed back into your family, Father, I pray that we can celebrate that with you right here, right now, today in this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.